0: Shire, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio.
1: Hey everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, March 19th, 2021, and this is episode 660. How are you? I hope you're well. This is the last day of winter. I think so, right? Tomorrow's spring begins at some point during the day. Right now, South by Southwest is a little over half over. It's only five days this year because they're just doing a virtual festival. And you might know this if you uh, listen to last week's podcast with Janet Pearson, who is the director of the film silo, if you will, the film festival of South by Southwest, because, you know, there's also other non-film related parts of the festival, like music and tech and everything else. So comedy. Anyway, uh, Janet was on and she was talking about the festival and... We're fortunate to have two segments on this episode dedicated to South by Southwest in the sense that both of these films are having their world premieres at this year's festival virtual, though it may be. First up here is the director, Todd Stevens, and the actor, Udo Kier. I was very geeked to get Udo Kier on. I've wanted him on for a really long time. And then we're going to bring on documentary filmmaker, Nathaniel Kahn, and my friend, and his editor, Sabine Cryanbuel. We'll we'll talk about that film in a little while. But first, I already posted this by the way, both of these segments that you're gonna hear today on the YouTube channel. So if you if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and, and do that. Go to YouTube.com slash Filmlax Radio and you can subscribe to the channel. And almost everything, if without exception, is is on there. Since nowadays I just do all of my podcasting over Zoom and I record them, with the permission of course of my guests. So these are both available there if you would prefer. You could do that as well. But if you do, please do subscribe. And while on the subject, I assume you're a subscriber of the podcast. But if you haven't written a review or rated the show on Apple Podcasts or, say, Stitcher, please, please take a few minutes out and do that. It would be so tremendous for a tremendous help and so appreciated. I want to get to the show, though, because, um, like I said a minute ago, Udo Kier who's been in so many incredible movies. He's usually like the villain, but or he plays usually a really strange person. this one is actually, you know, he's not to say he's conventional. You can't really do that with him. But but <laughs> this might be the most emotional and straightforward performance I've seen of his. You know, it was really still quite entertaining. Because you're just always kind of looking at Iouda, like, what is he going to do next? And he does seal the deal quite a few times with uh, a very, very unique performance. He plays an aging hairdresser named Pat who escapes from his nursing home in the small town of Sandusky, Ohio, uh, and embarks on an odyssey across his, uh, across the town to style a dead woman's hair for her funeral, who who is an old old friend of his from the years and years ago and along the way he rediscovers his sparkle uh yeah now the film uh, that friend was is played by linda evans who you may remember an actress who you don't see too often anymore also in the film is to my great delight jennifer coolidge of course of the christopher guest i don't know stable of actors that he uses all the time and um So we're going to have on Udo here in a second, as well as the film's director, Todd Stevens. Todd is, he produced a film called The Edge of Seventeen and uh, directed two comedies. One is called Another Gay Movie. And then there's, of course, the sequel, (laughs) Another Gay Movie. Sequel, Gays Gone Wild, obviously uh, tongue-in-cheek, Gypsy 83, Uh, and then now Swan Song, which I would describe as a, definitely as a dramatic comedy or dramedy. And um, with a, again, a sublime performance by Udo Kier. And here they are right now, Udo Kier and Todd Stevens, only on Filmwax radio.
2: Hello. Hey Adam, what's up? How are you? I'm well. Where are me? you located?
1: I'm in New York, just a little I'm, north of New York City. New York.
3: Where, where? Where? Where?
1: At? In the Hudson Valley.
3: Okay, I'm in the Delaware. Again. I'm in the Delaware in the Catskills, basically. Oh,
1: okay. So you're not far. So yeah. Udo, you have to you have to get in a car and join us up here in the. Oh, yeah. Well, you're in Be- where you're in uh, Palm Springs. Palm Springs, where you live. Uh, yeah. Well, I thank you. The-
2: I love New York. And
1: New York loves you right back. <laughs> right back. <laughs> I can tell you that. We love Udo Kier. I'm um, uh, so excited to have you both on. Thank you. And um, uh, I was excited to see your film. Todd, of course, director of another gay film, and in the sequel, another gay film, Gays Gone Wild, and now the Udo Kier awesome. story.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: But the, this film um, is
3: quite, kind of like um, loops back to my first two films, really. Like, right. I the third part of my Ohio trilogy. So, um, oh
1: great! Well, did,
3: I'm a Gemini, I want to... so I have like a more serious side and like a uh, you know silly side. And this I get is you. more my serious side. I think. Yeah,
1: I guess it falls down the. It sort of falls in the center. It's. Yeah. It's not camp, uh, although even that maybe there's some a little bit. But it's it is a serious story, and I'm guessing it's based on fact because Udo is is his character is Pat Pitzenberger, right? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yep. Who is based on who is actually was somebody real? He's based on a real guy. Uh, you want to talk about that and then,
3: yeah, yeah. When I was a little, you know, I grew up in a small town where it was kind of hard to be different. And um, Sandusky.
1: There,
3: Sandusky, Ohio, yeah, um, right on you know on Lake Erie, wow. and it's like it was like a Rust Belt town, and yep. um, and I, when I was a little kid, I would go downtown, and there was this fabulous man that walked around, you know, that was like dressed in these bright colors, and and you know wore, wearing like a velvet fedora, <laughs> and um, you know smoking the cigarette and all that, and I was wow. I was fascinated by him, you know, from from and he was kind of like legendary in my in my town and he he totally he didn't fit in he looked very different than anybody else you know. Understood. So um, it was years later when I went to the gay bar in town for the first time, which actually was called the Universal Fruit and Nut Company, you know, which was really the best gay bar in the history of the world. Um, it when I first went in there. I glanced over to the dance floor, and there was some sequin things sparkling, and that was Pat. You know, this guy who I had seen when I was little, and so it all it all kind of connected. And um, he, I always looked up to him because he always had the courage to be himself and to be different when yeah, right. that wasn't really safe. That when that wasn't really you know accepted. Absolutely, Seventies and eighties, you know. So. Sure,
1: right, and to choose to to stay in that, yeah there's a, you would make one wonder more about who this guy is and why he made those choices, yeah right to do that and to stay in Sandusky when he could have gone to even Cleveland maybe and exactly. had a slightly easier time right right so udo okay. was udo your guy your choice it did, did did pat the original pat was he from like uh Europe was he uh, no, I mean he was
3: actually from West Virginia, so um okay, very, you know, very different, but um. It it didn't, um, it didn't take long to, I mean, actually it took a while. It was a hard part to cast, you know, it's a really hard Mm -hmm. part to cast. And um, one of my casting directors suggested Udo and I, um, you know, as soon as she said it, I remembered like, I'm a huge fan of my own private Idaho and and many, many. Oh my God. So um, I was like, Oh my God, you know, so we got Udo the script and um, he, he read it and responded to it. And before you know it, I was like on a plane out to Palm Springs and we, you know, the rest is kind of history.
1: So Udo uh, uh, happens to be here. Yeah. <laughs> <Hi>. he <did. laughs>
3: what,
1: do, what do you know? He's sitting right there. Uh, Udo, have you been, yes. spent a lot of time, spent a lot of time in Sandusky prior to this film? Making no,
2: this film? never. But uh, when... Uh, I must say, I, for me, it was a moment in my career where I had Bakurao and The Painted Bird, two uh, very good films, and where I played the evil guy. And when I read the script, I thought to myself, well, that's something different. And I liked Liberace, and I liked jewelry. And yes. so when, wore I, a lot of rings. when I met Todd, uh, 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 we talked about it. We had lunch and talked about it, and then I went there. And uh, of course, for me, it was a story where I didn't wanted to act, where I wanted to be, uh, to be. And mm-hmm. so I said to Todd that I would, at the beginning, like to be a day or two in the hospital on my own no camera, no direction, only to get around and touch and sleep on the bed and see everything. And I went around, uh, I hadn't been in St. before but I went around and I was very lucky that some of the people of uh, Pat are still alive. And I talked with them, we went- Really? A bar and they imitated they imitated Pat, and I was learning in the movements, of, and and then how he was dressed, I heard. And so uh, uh, for me, Sandarsky, I didn't go around side streets. There was one, it's one main street where they have the theater, where they have, the, I mean, the cinema also, theater and cinema, and a lot of stores, and we shot basically there. And for me, it uh, it was a great experience to do a movie like that. And because I'm also from that generation when they, the way David Bowie was dressed and, you know, I had a green suit, but it was not disturbing for me to have a green suit and a hat on and, yeah. and wave yeah. for the people. And no, it is like, I... Uh, It's a, you know, it's a a movie different from the others I do, but. To
3: me, me is like a big fan of Udo, Um, and he's been so amazing in so many different parts. But to me, the thing I think is that he really shows like the full range of of what he can do, you know, and and especially because he's in every scene. You can't take your eyes off of him. Um,
1: No, you can't.
3: You know, he makes you laugh. Yeah. He makes you cry. Like you're with him every step of the way. And, yeah, and um,
1: there's and there's an element of unpredictability in his performance also, which I don't know where that was coming from, but it's as th- and it's as though you just sort of let him do his thing. You pointed the camera, and I'm sure at many times you didn't know where he was going to go. It just comes off that way. Am good. I right?
2: Good. Yeah. That's great. That's good. And I also want to say something. Yeah. Uh, I was very happy, and that Linda Evans is in the movie. And I must say, Linda Evans is one of the most professional person I ever worked with. She is amazing because she has this great experience from from the TV shows. So we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, and then we had only one big scene together at the end, as you know, and. That was we, we we became the person, both of us. There was no trick because we had rehearsed it, rehearsed it just to get the text in our brain, and then when we were shooting, we were real, and that was amazing for me.
1: Wow um yes uh, your the point, I guess the story behind there is your uh uh you're sort of uh in, in a nursing home and uh you you're you're miserable i mean essentially you're you're very uh compulsively <laughs> folding napkins as a uh some sort of i don't know like obsessive compulsive sort of thing uh and then uh you get your 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 um uh you you met by the guy who's arranging the funeral the funeral director am i or it's is he, he's in charge of the 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 uh, A lawyer for the estate. Lawyer for the estate, exactly. And you're asked to come out of retirement, if you want to call that too, to fix up the the uh, the body, the hair and make up for of uh, this woman who's passed away. Played by the great Linda Evans, of course, who people remember from Dynasty. Um was there more? There had to be more of her scenes. I mean, the, did you did or was it just that that was all it was no, did she that shot was that great. one afternoon together or something?
3: Yeah, that
1: was it. I by the way, just so you know. I have on order a a a, a shipment of Vivante. Vivante, Ah. Vivante. Vivante. It's in the mail. It's coming (laughs) because you know. Got to
3: say it right.
1: (laughs) Sorry. There's some lovely scenes. You you know I don't know if Pat was like this, but Udo's Pat was moved seamlessly from you know the shop of sisters to like kids a double dutch playing Double Dutch 2 uh, you know some yeah a whole sort of a uh, 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 variety of people and they all just sort of were nonplussed by him even though he was often wearing turquoise jumpsuit or something you know and, and the hats as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know it's something that you emanate or Pat your character Pat emanates in other words, the people just sort of really uh, loved. You know, he's a lovable guy.
3: It's true. He kind of spread energy. Boy, and and um, you know, it's a story about somebody who kind of was was dead in a way, like had given up, and and is rediscovering life. Yes,
1: brought back to life.
3: And as he did that, that energy, I think, emanated and and affected yeah. people.
1: Yeah, because he's right. He's essentially waiting to die, sitting right. laying there in that terrible place, and then he escapes. And it's beautiful, <laughs> you know. We just sort of rooting for Udo. Uh, rooting I rooting like, for Pat.
2: I like the lady in the wheelchair smoking a cigarette with her. That's true. That was lovely. Beautiful scene. That uh, Ted wanted it. Uh, Todd wanted it like that, and he's right because that shows that you can also have a sensibility without one word of talking. But everything goes, the hair, the two cigarettes, and then give her one. And they're they very, 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 from uh, Todd, very, very good moments he uh, directed in uh, this movie. It was not all just craziness. And there were also little, tiny, tiny, Tiny things, which I believe as an actor, I believe I think the little things sometimes are much more important than the the big scene by the chimney the... <laughs> right, with the swelling music and, uh, yeah. of, uh, and I want
4: to
1: come back, but you're right, those little moments like that from when you when you see the love and care that he gave his fellow um, you know nursing home patient, this w- woman who couldn't talk. Uh, she probably had dementia or something, and and you were so loving. You got from the start. It was a great idea to insert that because we knew right away what a beautiful guy this uh, exactly. Pat, Pat was. You, you, and
3: you, you could see the effect he had on his clients, yeah. you know, on on the clients, you know, and and that there was love in his hands, you know. Right,
1: and Linda Evans, as we mentioned uh, already, uh, but she she passed away before the story, but we see her in a flashback or in a not a flashback, but in an imagines and imagine i don't they, want to give away yeah, too much, but yeah. that was the nature of their relationship, but they considered each other their best friends um and i uh, we mentioned music um I could, is the soundtrack as it is now going to survive the festivals because you have very intentionally plant uh, curated a soundtrack of many uh you know icons. Right? Judy Garland, Dusty uh Springfield, um, et cetera. Like all Shirley these Bass. yeah, yeah. Shirley um, Bass-y.
3: I have uh we have an amazing super music supervisor named Jerry Gershman, and the answer is yes, it will survive. All of all of that is cleared for, you know.
1: Really congratulations. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you that's a that's a killer that's a uh, soundtrack bad. you
3: can.
2: Yeah, I know. the music is great. Yeah. It yeah. is.
3: Yeah.
1: And a lot of that
3: was Pats, you know, th- those were the real Pats, like iconic Judy Garland, Shirley Bassey, Dusty, you know, uh, Shirley Horn. They were like, and then we got oh. the Robin, Robin song where um, Udo, you know, performs and um, you no, know, everything, everything just really fell into place with the music. I, I, that's one of the things I'm most proud of about the yeah.
2: film.
1: Uh I'm glad for you though, that, that, that you were able to do that because that's a great soundtrack. Um, uh We'll say the name of the film is Swan Song. I don't know exactly. I think since it's premiering Thursday, uh, the 18th of March at South by, I think from then on it's, you can watch it uh, if you're registered at South by Southwest.
3: Yes, exactly. Uh,
1: Udo, answer me one last thing as we wind it down. And that is um, you've been to Austin before, even though this year the festival is uh, virtual, right? But you've been to Austin in the past
2: no, but I've been just there. I had a filming competition in Sand Dance, Blazing World. At which one? Blazing World. Which festival? Uh, in uh, Sand Dance. In Slam Dance. I'm not saying yeah, no, but... slam, no, oh. no, Slam. Sand. Sunshine. Oh, Sand Dance. Oh, thank you. I'm a Sand Dance, and they had the festival this year. Not in uh, Sand Dance they had it in Austin. And I was shooting the movies, the only movie I made last year with uh, uh, Carlson Young called The Blazing World and it was in competition. So I did fly there and it was for me interesting in Austin because they had the premiere in a drive-in uh, with all the cars. So I had to speak afterwards. but yeah, the- I know. One- with the cat and they honk the cat, their horns, and so with the horns, and yeah, yes, I've so been that, to a couple myself. Yes, I know.
1: Uh, I may I brought it up because at when I when word got out that I was getting Todd and, and Udo on, on my podcast, uh, a friend of mine from Austin, Roy Hernandez, mentioned ask Udo if he has ever been to Elysium some, for some Yoko Ono concert or some show where U- Oyoko was and does he remember that?
2: No I don't remember I just went to one strange place in the evening where everything every room was different maybe that was it every room was different maybe. like in a museum but it's totally different they all kind of special effects but I don't know Austin very well no
1: okay well it uh it's a it's an austin spot and my friend was who's the creative director of this club he said ask udo if he said i'm not gonna have time i'm not gonna have time for that bullshit Sorry. What is the
2: name of the club elysium.
1: Elysium. elysium
2: elysium
1: yeah but that's fine i, mean, I, I appreciate I, it.
3: I, I however have seen yoko ono live like three or four times and wow God, yeah, yeah, i'm a huge yoko fan i'm all about yoko
1: oh me too and uh guys i think we're we're reached the end of time swan song udo kier jennifer coolidge i was hoping she'd zoom bomb out of luck not not didn't happen (laughs) linda evans we mentioned jonah blackman Mm -hmm. great film it's udo uh having a great time and uh if you watch it you'll join him for the great time thank you guys so much Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate
3: it. Thank you. Nice to meet
1: you. We'll have to do it again. I want more time. I I don't know how to operate so quickly, but I I still... I've wanted Nathaniel Kahn on ever since I saw his documentary My Architect, which is a film he made about his father, uh, Louis Kahn, you know, who is one of the most, of course, famous architects of the 20th century. And then coincidentally, and we're going to, I don't know if it comes up in my edit here, but, but uh, my parents for a while lived in Park Slope for a bunch of years, and they lived next door to this very sweet couple. The female uh, in the couple is named Sabine Cryambule, and it turned out she was this professional film editor. It also turns out that she had worked with Nathaniel and had edited my architect. So I was really impressed. She also had edited two other documentaries that were sort of in the top 10 of my list, including the bridge and mad hot ballroom. I mean, just unbelievable projects. She has since worked with uh, Nathaniel on the cost of everything, which was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago about the cost of, of art and how it's escalated and just what a, what, a, what a business it's become. And then now the two have uh, collaborated again on The Hunt for Planet B, which captures the human drama behind NASA's high-stakes web telescope due to launch in October of this year, the most ambitious space observatory ever built. The film interweaves the creation of this massive machine with the story of a pioneering group of female scientists on a quest to find life. Beyond our solar system, what begins as a real-time scientific adventure turns into a deep meditation on our place in the universe. On the brink of seeing farther out than ever before, we find ourselves looking back at our own imperiled planet with new eyes. Having its world premiere in the documentary spotlight category of this year's South by Southwest Film Festival. Well, here is... The film's director, Nathaniel Kahn, joining us is also the editor again, Sabine Criambule, who has been on this podcast, by the way, I think a couple of times before, but here they are, both of them, for the hunt for planet B here on Film Wax Radio.
4: too far away from the Earth. Where we're putting the Webb telescope is a place called L2. And uh, if you think of here's the Earth, here's, here's the sun, um, L2 is on the other side, a million um, miles away from the Earth. The full moon is between us and L2. That's where James Webb will be. It's four times the distance to the moon. <laughs>
0: Yeah, look at that picture over there. Hand me a roll of color. Say, oh, right? man, that's crazy. Where is Quick. I'm looking for one. That one? Oh, here, yeah, I got it right yeah. here. I've Got it right here. Oh, that's a beautiful
5: shot. Got it? 50 years ago, they say, we went looking for the moon, and we found the Earth.
0: Yeah, right? that's true. That picture of the Earth, that was really the beginning of the modern environmental movement right there. favorite little lakes. There's an eagle circling around in front of us. In grad school, I asked the question, what does the Earth look like from very far away when you can't see the continents and the oceans? And can you actually tell that there is life on that planet? So we looked at the moon Not too many days after New Moon, when you can just first start to see that thinnest crescent right at sunset, you'll notice that the dark part of the moon is also visible because the Earth is shining on that part of the lunar surface. So if you take a telescope and you look at that light, it's Earth light all jumbled up together. It's the land, it's the ocean, it's the clouds, the air. And when you spread that light out and look at it, you can plainly see the squiggly line that this is a planet that has a definite clear oxygen line. And there's definitely carbon dioxide and there's methane. Those signals were all tangled up together in the colors of the Earth and that was what we called the spectrum but
1: of a um, planet. do you guys know each other have you met you too <laughs> no, you know it's
4: like for a few years coincidentally we happened to be in the same room and decided okay let's edit this film
1: <laughs> why not you i
5: hey i can edit you can direct let's do something the kind but of amazing know. thing is i actually haven't seen sabina i haven't seen you like even a vision of you for like god it feels like almost a year it's crazy we really haven't we've talked on the phone but we haven't done a zoom call together so oh it's yeah. really you're, you're bringing us together again this is wonderful well, or this south by a-
1: southwest is too indirectly right, uh, right. but uh where you're going let's mention where you're going to have a world premiere of the, your new documentary the hunt for planet b uh we'll just start um this is my show by the way anyway it sort of starts usually like people say did we are we starting? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we started like ten okay. minutes. Okay, it just sort of happens. Um, and uh, but I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to actually ask for personal, just interest. How did you originally, you, your first project together was my Arctic, but I don't think I, I yes. ever knew how you guys met originally, and or just ended up working
5: together, which has been now a long lasting relationship. It has, it has. Sabina, I, how how do you remember it? This will be a he uh, should, he, he well, said, she said thing well there was this
4: place there was this place in Soho called MediaWorks and it was the place where all the documentary filmmakers went to work when they didn't have a job like in between
1: oh okay real
4: good jobs we went to MediaWorks and MediaWorks was like a and they made industrials and sometimes they made you know some a little bit more interesting films. Basically, it was the money, the, you know, the place with the money jobs. And so I went to work there and Nathaniel, I think you were, I, I would just freelance and, and sometimes end up there. And Nathaniel actually was, on, you know, was hired by MediaWorks. I don't think you were freelance. Yes. You were actually with on the thing. And then one day Nathaniel came into the room where I was editing and said, you know, I have this project that I've been working on for very long or whatever, or for the, a couple of years and you know, about my father and we started talking and, and he said, you know, can I show you something? And we were looking at, I think we looked at the scene or at some th- footage of, of Harriet uh, that you shot uh, in, the, in Philadelphia. I'm trying to think, you may have already had shot Philip Johnson
5: I think so. I think, yeah, so. I
4: think so. Yeah. Same time period. And so we looked at it and I said, Oh, it was really it looks really fabulous. And I didn't know about Nathaniel's father. And he told me, and you know, we just I was just really interested in the story and then the project, in the architecture anyway. My my uncle was an architect, so I had some sort of a connection to the theme also. And then and and then we decided, okay, let's try sort of in between. Like we didn't even, you know, let's just do a scene. Or or Nathaniel, I think we discussed about that you had a, a thought of going to shoot a, ne- a next um, section. And then we said, okay, let's just go ahead and shoot it. It was sock. Yeah, and that's right. And we talked about all the different past scenes that he could shoot there. And then c- come back and let's cut a scene and just sort of see how it works. And then the first sock scene was a really long, like probably a half an hour scene, including a lot of elements that are never made it into the final film. But that's sort of how it started. And then we were on and off because that was, you know, how documentaries found their financing. You would find a little and then you stop and then you right. had to work for money right. and then you find some more and you go ahead. And so I think we, worked over the course of, I don't know, you would probably know better how long. Probably,
5: I think it was, it was about 18 months. And for me, I mean, MediaWorks was it was a magical place for me, because the the people who ran it were really interested in filmmaking, and really sort of fostered this environment where we could try things. And they supported that. And it was really was quite wonderful. And you had a little room in the back. And we did, you know, we did some kind of amazing industrials actually they were quite the one for the child study center was really a a wonderful piece that was our first piece we did together and the thing I remember from the start you mentioned the sock piece um, and it's pretty much the way we've continued to make movies together ever since which is we're always looking for scenes and and really kind of allowing the film to grow from from the scenes rather than from some kind of you know overall Concept to start with. It really it needs to be bottom it, up. It's, in way yeah, it's, it's bottom. Well, that. yeah, and and it's and it's characters. I mean, both Sabina and I love drama and you know love the theater, and so we're we're always looking for something that. Um, rather than an idea or a concept, or I mean, I remember having all these cards on the wall at MediaWorks and you know, this it had to how things had to fit together and everything. And Sabina just says, you know, well, just no, just go just just go shoot. And I really hadn't I'd done several of several of these things before, but I was really getting stuck in my head. And and so ever since it's been really this experience of of going to film things and seeing what speaks to you. And then creating, you know, creating something which has some dramatic integrity to it and building the film from there. Um, and that's that's how we made also The Price of Everything and and how we made this film too. over. But but it takes time and it takes yeah. it takes, you know, really work. <laughs> exa- exactly. And that, many things risk that it, that's there. A there. lot of risk. Yeah. You know? But I mean, but that's also the excitement. And I think that's the that's where documentaries can be so thrilling, because you know, to watch them, you don't know where it's going to go. And that's that excitement of of making them too. And right. it's scary. It's really scary. But I think, you know, Sabina and I have a, have a shorthand now that we, we, you know, many times we'll screen something just look at each other and it'll, you know, we just don't have to say anymore. It's just like, no, that was, you know, that goes and that's okay. That's all right. Um, but to get yeah, to that. Yeah, some kind of my movie. favorite documentaries have, have
1: been um, where, you know, you're on this, where you know the filmmaker just all of a sudden there's like a deus ex machina well almost the opposite where hmm. like, all of a sudden the story just goes off in some direct, a, a direction unpredictable of course or you know and it's you're you're wondering is the is the documentary make, filmmaker or the storyteller is going to go with that or are they sticking to the original you know are, are, right. or are they open to going this other, completely other direction and and more often than not at the good ones you know they they
5: just sort of take that leap and, but uh, you, you, you actually like these moments that are that are included in the film where you feel the film shifting. Right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's what you're saying. And I, and I love that, too. And that I mean, it takes a kind of courage to put that in there because yes. the tendency is to say, well, no, everything has to be, you know, totally clear and worked out. Right. And now you don't know is this gonna take another five years to tell this story if I go Exactly you don't, or is this gonna cost us how you know how we're gonna budget it? All these things come into are we gonna to have to travel? Or are we, who knows? Right, right. Um, and of course life is like that. So that's why that's you know, documentaries, when they're when they're made in that manner, can really feel that they unfold the way life unfolds, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. When well, did
1: this documentary have any surprises? Did you go into it, for instance, thinking you were going to primarily tell sort of a, a, I mean, the majority of the scientists in this film, the primary ones that you sort of were following are females. I don't know if that was your intention from the moment
5: go, or. That was something we very much, I mean, we, that was something that really was conceptual, that both Sabina and I decided this is something that we want to do. And it was really, but, but it came from the, from, came from the material. It was that these incredibly compelling astronomers were women. And uh, so that, I mean, that became a major, uh, obviously a major, a major through line of the story. But one, one thing that did surprise us was the importance of the climate march. That was something that really, I think, right. Sabina, wasn't that something that we, that kind of, we didn't start in with that.
4: Yeah, well, we didn't start with, in with that, but we always knew that there was the environmental aspect to it. Yes, in, uh, that 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 also would really this idea of looking out and finding something, and through the course of looking out, tr- turning your gaze back and realizing, you know, realizing what this. What our planet really means and and the importance of it, and how unique it is and I think so we wanted to bring that out and and the scientists often referred to it but but until the climate march was shot we we realized that, you know until that happened we we were sort of it was almost um a too too loose of a theme, and that really nailed it to becoming something very urgent and in the now.
5: Right. Yeah, but that was something that, you know, I mean, one thing is that when you have events that occur during the production cycle, that, 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 that sort of where, where your production coincides with world events, that's, yeah. that's a remarkable thing. And that was something that happened. We knew we wanted the, the idea, as Sabina has said, of that by looking out, you also come to understand By looking outward into the universe for other worlds, you come. One comes to understand the Earth in a new with a new perspective. We knew we wanted that, but sort of how to achieve that isn't necessarily easy. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the fact that these climate marches were happening um, around the world and that and that was really right outside the window of our office, we couldn't not be there. And then suddenly that became something that also got picked up by the um, the women who were talking about Trappist and what would they think of us? I mean, one of the questions becomes of where would we actually place the climate march? And that was something that we didn't have an answer for for a long time. I mean, it was early and then it was late and it was different places, but it, it organically found its home when uh, the, the team um, that is working on the Trappist, particular Trappist planet, Trappist 1E, When they were talking about it and saying, you know, well, gee, if they were there looking at us, you know, they would be they would be receiving messages from 39 years ago, of course, because it's this distance. But, you know, they would be watching us and watching the way our our climate is changing and such. And what would they be thinking of us? So suddenly Mm -hmm. there was this thing of and, and one of the people, one of the one of the women says, you know, what are they doing down there is what this you know, a, a fictional, an imaginary being on Trappist would be saying about us, and that was a perfect way to segue into the climate marches that are happening right now, right. so you find those moments, and and that was tricky, because we moved it in different places, and it didn't work, it didn't resonate right, but then suddenly it did.
4: Yeah, like, I mean, you always try to find, obviously, in in a scene, sort of, you know, ins and outs that that connect beautifully to something else, and I mean, just to come back to also some, so the, you know, some of these moments in documentary filmmaking where magically things happen that you actually, you know, sometimes magically don't happen, but sometimes they magically happen. But for example, when you went to shoot Maggie up in Wisconsin, there was this gigantic storm that knocked everything out of the park. That was, you know, on, you know, unprecedented or hadn't happened so long. So, you know, that right. again. We could have said, okay, well, really, it doesn't really belong, you know. What I'm, you know, whatever we talk about the bees and all that. But then the storm and the visuals of it and and the people worried about it, it increases also the drama of it all. I think, you know, you always try to find moments that that help it, it intensify the drama that's going on. And so that was a perfect moment that really helped us, you know, wrap, you know, and also where we placed it, it sort of like you know, the next We're now it's coming closer, you know, the inevitable is moving closer and closer. Mm. So.
1: So I, I, in, on the surface, the documentary, well, beyond the surface too, but it's about the web telescope, which is, in, it's essentially an observatory, right. But it's going to be able to see beyond uh, the, our universe.
5: Well, you'll see to the, be- see very close to the beginning of time, very close to the beginning of time
1: back. I don't know what that any so yeah, okay. As a science fiction <laughs> fan, I would, Right. and I'm doing my Bill Shatner as I say, stop to go boldly go where no man or woman has gone before. But um and right. I you know, we're thinking like I look at it as as this thing where uh you know, these scientists are looking for life in habitable places where we can maybe survive because we're hmm. you know, we've destroyed our we're just in the process of kind of making our current planet, uh, uninhabitable, you know, so that's kind of the, but the, you know, and then there's this beautiful aspect that the it's, of course, it's women who are, who are doing the, this work because women are give life, you know? So it's, it seems like the natural order of things is,
5: um, my mm. kind of interpret. Well, it's them. also, I mean, there's also a whole, a whole angle to that, which is that, you know, of course, astrophysics for years, has been dominated by men and and sort of in a sense that the lone genius model is something that has is kind of many times it's kind of the vision of what we have of what science is but that has radically is radically changing and has radically changed in the sense that that now most of the really really effective work in science or a great deal of it is being done by these teams mm-hmm. and the more diverse the better
4: Right. Um, sure. and, sure.
5: and that, that is getting the most effective science, that, that is that is getting the best results. And so in a world like exoplanets, which is also there's another reason too, which is that exoplanet world looking for these new worlds, exoplanets are a really new discovery. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't know that there were other planets around stars. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there were one or two known, but but the the majority of them came with the launch of the Kepler Space Telescope, and suddenly there are planets everywhere. So it's a new field. So there, there weren't the entrenched sort of, um, you know, the the entrenched structures that that really was a real glass ceiling for for uh, for for women, you know, before. Uh, and that's a, that's only beginning. We there's still a very long way to go. You talk to people in the field, a long way to go. Um, it it we ain't there yet. But but the idea that a field like exoplanets was much more open. So. People, younger people, and and you know, large larger groups were able to join, and were not kept out. Um, that's a really a sort of a wonderful thing that I think we've also captured a bit this demographic shift mm-hmm. in science. Sure, um, and in astrophysics, which that's, is that's really awesome. exciting. Yeah.
1: And they're all real, you know, human beings. They're have their you you know like I, maybe you're getting to this like men have an easier time to sort of. Um, presenting as just scientists that's their entire identity if they have families it's uh it's kind of just background whereas you know it's front and center with uh, these some of these scientists that we, we see you know in their mm. relationships and their families you know that's healthy that's a good way to live i mean right, right his work well is- it,
5: it, it it's it was amazing to see the group of people also who are building the telescope and it's not you know it's also the engineers and one one thing that 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 we really enjoyed in cutting the film was to be able to show a mission like the Webb telescope actually happening in real time. You know, so many times, so, so often a science, you know, a science-based film um, is about sort of known knowledge. It's, it's a way of presenting things we already know. Um, and the fun of making this film was this is something that isn't finished yet. It's, it's happening as you're watching. This telescope is coming together like some great cathedral or something like that. And there are a lot of unknowns, you know, will it work? What right. will what what will happen? You know, there are problems that are encountered in the film. We have the moments where they have difficulties with their tests and such like that, and that's really the way these projects come together. It's not like this receive knowledge top down. This is reaching out into the dark to try to understand how to do things that have never been done before and try to discover things that we don't even know what we're going to find. You know, you ask someone like like John Mather, the 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 um, the, the uh, head of the mission from the scientific standpoint and you know he says listen if i could tell you the most exciting thing we're going to find I, I i would but but i don't know what that's going to be you know and that's 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 part of what we wanted to capture too is this this unknowability right. you know just kind of reaching out into the dark feeling of building this thing we don't you know we don't know yet what we're going to but it just so it.
1: happens another the, the, historically speaking another thing women are better at not knowing every all the answers or everything <laughs>
4: Well, yes, and that so that that also relates yep. to the idea of time, which is also sort of a, a an overreaching f- theme of the film, which women seem to have a better you know way right. working with. You know, things take time, and and we see the different generations that all have worked on this thing, and 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 we see the frustration that happens with things not you know coming together as when we want them, and this idea to really think about time, time passing, time, how long do we have on this earth? You know, you know, everybody dies at some point, you know, will we die, you know? So it's- not get it's, carried away, and not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as for science fiction person, probably, yeah, not it's everybody. Waiting but for but all I, of us. I'm
1: not, actually. Uh, the, let's just remind people, it's called The Hunt for a Planet B. It's premiering at uh, South by Southwest. Um, in the uh, documentary spotlight category it's it's wor- the world premiere of the documentary um, directed by nathaniel Kahn, edited by sabine crane um let's just go uh, i have a hard time wrapping around my head just to go back to something you said nathaniel um the web telescope hypothetically you'll be able to see at the, as far back as the beginning i i have a hard time understanding time as a as a, a as as some sort of dist- way of looking in back and how do you how do you do that
5: I mean cause sure I, I'm on um, with distance like you see far right well the reality is that that light you know light takes time to get yeah it's really fast but it takes time so therefore I'm not really light. seeing you now light, hence I'm light seeing light. right I'm seeing the way you were so when you look at the moon you're seeing it you're seeing it about a second and a half or so where where it was a second and a half ago it the the sun the light from the sun takes 8 minutes to get from the sun to us so so if the sun were to burn out right now it would take oh, 8 wait, minutes worry. for us to but it's not going to happen but if it did it would take 8 minutes for us to know that eight so minutes as,
1: to find a flashlight i understand
5: exactly time to find a flashlight but the so the point is the further the further out you look the also the further back in time that you see so as we look towards the very edge of the universe we're seeing back billion years ago as we look out 13.5 billion light years out we're looking back in time 13.5 billion years so um the universe is a little bit older than that but but in the very beginning uh, you know the big bang so to say Mm -hmm. right um uh nothing nothing could be seen for for a little while and and um when it emerges from this period called the dark ages it's when the very first stars form, the very first galaxies form. those things have never been seen. The Hubble Space Telescope looked out and saw saw pretty close to that, but couldn't actually get all the way all the way back there. couldn't see far, far enough out there, and it's because of this thing called the redshift. The light actually becomes just like a, a siren that goes past you. The sound goes down, you know it goes beep, boo bee boo booby as it goes away, right. The, the, the same thing happens with light, only it gets redder. So it gets redder and redder and redder and redder until you can't see it red anymore. It becomes infrared. So the Webb telescope is an infrared telescope. It can see beyond the red to the very, very, very red-shifted galaxies and stars that are at the very beginning. So these are things we've never seen before. So the telescope is really an origins machine. It's, it's addressing the biggest questions we have. How did the universe begin? Where did we come from? And this question, which we engage profoundly in the film is, are we alone? But those three questions, questions—you where did we come from? How did the universe begin? Are we alone? Those are huge. And to think that we are at this moment, at this very moment, like able to ask those questions and get some answers is astonishing. It's easy to think, well, every time is like another time. No, this time is really special. So, you know, we're on the verge of that. Um, and I think that's one of the things in making this film, I think both Sabina and I really loved being, you know, in the presence, there's something very positive about this. There's something very wonderful that people can get together and, and build an instrument like that. And the women who are, who are the astronomers who are going to use it to look at these exoplanets, that people are getting together just to ask these questions that's kind of what we do is we do so many things as human beings and some of them are great and some of them are not great but one of the things we do that is great is to be able to ask these huge questions and this this endless curiosity that we have so being able to sort of navigate that world when we were making this film together um in spite of all the difficulties of putting films together and it's really hard of course as you know as anybody who's made a film knows it's tough and there are days when you think this is never going to work but then you know but it's wonderful to work on a film like this, which has such sort of positive vibes to it. This is an incredible project that is, you know, a worldwide project. NASA's working with the European space agency and the Canadian space agency and people from 44 different countries getting together. You know, that's like the best of what we do. And so it, I think it was, didn't you feel that Sabina, that it was fun to be part of that?
4: Yeah, no, I mean, the idea of it being so positive also this, you know, I think at the end of the film, you also feel that anybody really can go and look out into the sky and wonder and, and ask these questions. And it's sort of the film has a way, I mean, it was important for us to not make this, you know, this is a different science film. It's a film, the way we try to talk about science, it's some is, is, a, you know, in the film was Trying to make it understandable for about anybody, because because the idea is really to include people and inspire people, and that's what we want to do. You know, that's part of this making the film, and and, and part of the team, the team of the women. Part, you know, I think so. So that was always. So in this way, the film is not just a science, you know, a typical science film for geeks, but also really for anybody who wants to just, you know, think about those basic questions.
1: And as I always th- say, you know, um, it's not it's not something foreign. We're actually in Earth is is in space, or we're in <laughs> space. We're not space isn't what's just out there. We actually are in space. Uh, our planet is just true. spinning like any other place, and we're aliens to some, but to some other form of life. That's true. Uh, we're the aliens. So you know, um, I always try to put things in a certain context. Of uh, you know, but that's a,
5: that that's something we wanted to achieve too. A little bit is or or uh, to 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 kind of remind people of is that we are, as you say, we're in space. We yeah. we are we are a, a very small planet. Um, and we try to play with that perspective too. There's a moment where you see the earth from the moon right before um, one of the characters, Maggie, is, you know, talking about this, this image, this key image when we first saw the earth from the moon and the, and the, and the earth rise, and it was kind of the beginning of the environmental movement. And it, but it's very much this idea that one of the things we wanted to do with the film is to, is to play with perspectives so that, so that, you know, maybe by looking for other worlds out there and wondering what they're like and looking and thinking about the qualities that they would have, this, these worlds on Trappist, it, it gives us a new way to look at or a fresh way to look at our own, our own planet, our own little fragile world. And that's not political and it's not, you know, it's, not, it's, 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 just, it's just the fact of it. We are this tiny marble suspended in space. And at this moment, it's the only place in the universe that we know that there is life. We're looking for it elsewhere. (laughs) The statistics seem to favor that there is life out there. There are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. There are hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. But as of this moment, we are the only place in the universe which we know has life. So, you know, Either way, if we're alone, my God, we're, you know we're the most we, we are the most precious thing anyway because it's all we have. But but if we're alone, imagine how important it is. And if we're not alone, imagine how important it is. So so either way, we're at this moment where we're able to kind of ask this question, not theoretically, but for real. We can go find out, and that's something else. We talked a lot about this in the film. Um, the, the key, one of the key concepts, is this idea of observation. That and Matt Mountain, who's one of the scientists who talks about Galileo and flies to Galileo to see Galileo's home and everything, and where he was, where Galileo was was you know put in under house arrest for the last years of his life for simply saying that the Earth was you know going around the sun, he was put away for that, right? And you know talk about the suppression of science, you know. Um, so, uh, but but this idea that what Matt says is that we have to make the observation don't don't you know don't read it in a book go find out and that's i mean that's once again that's this great instinct that human beings have let's find out let's let's ask the hard questions and then go find out no uh,
1: there's uh if that does, if if anybody watches this and then doesn't run to south by southwest
5: meaning go to their <laughs> living room uh, <laughs> right go to their living room i know it's so hard we um, we so wish we could all be together the fun of i know being an independent filmmaker well,
4: actually you know yeah. interestingly it was sort of a, a strange i mean again it's like how things coincide the fact that we were finishing the film in the, during the pandemic
0: hmm.
4: and you know remember this moment when every sort of the earth stood still almost you know for the first time the smog lifted and we could see the sky and we could see the stars and it was so interesting to see also how many people started getting telescopes and you know you saw you know people were looking up at the sky and, and, and the sky and, tread, came. and
1: treadmills and you well, know weights no. but yeah <laughs> well up here you know where i am we see the stars every night but yeah regardless of a how many yeah,
4: but there? it was also one of these moments where you know we we you know contemplating it we, we had time to contemplate
1: yeah mm-hmm. uh, and now as on the cusp of uh, hopefully the other end of this pandemic, the film will have its first audiences and I wish wish you guys a lot of luck with the film and when w- maybe when it's ready for uh, a proper theatrical. We'll do this. We could do this again. We'll just. We'd love that. I'll, I'll trans yeah. transcribe what we just did and I'll send it to you. And we can just read off the <laughs> <laughs> No, but
5: by that point, by that point, we'll know. We'll know some more things, right? Oh, maybe we'll that's more right. and we'll be and we'll be closer to launch. I mean, that's the excitement. The count, the countdown has begun. The telescope actually launches at the end of. That's uh, right. right the end of October.
1: October. Yeah. October. It's only only uh, months
5: away. Months, months away. Over. Yeah. Well, this was. it's really different. it's fun talking about the you know it's so it's so fun talking about the history of the things that Sabina and I have made together it's really it's it's wonderful and is it
1: three features or more is it, is it- it's
5: three yeah it's three it's three features,
4: features and we did a, a, one small project
5: mm-hmm. uh,
4: for media works.
5: yeah for so media I don't I don't right. but it but it's it's wonderful the things that 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 sort of the things that stay the same, the things that change, but the things that stay the same. And, and from the start, it's always been about creating scenes and being concerned with characters mm-hmm. and finding the emotion. And, and one last thing that come, we come back to this idea of time. And I was thinking about it. I think one of the reasons that I, one of the things that I think both of us are always looking for is the, somehow capturing the experience of time passing mm-hmm. in, in a film. And that's not always easy. You sort of want, you want this thing, you know, if you listen to a great piece of music, like the Goldberg variations, what's so wonderful about it is, you know, there's a piece, a little aria that's played in the beginning and all these variations happen. And then the same aria is played at the end, but you feel totally different about it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's what both of us are kind of, we, we, we're, we're both seeking that, that feeling that when you watch a film, something shifts inside inside something well, you shifts the, in
1: you. you know it's interesting because you have the credit role at the beginning or the credits and then you see them again at the end and you have a different whole other feeling some author if you have true. a really great experience about those same names and those roles that they they had on on making this incredible film you just finished watching so maybe it's you know that's a true a, a parallel um the, true anyway. um nice mm-hmm. talking to you both Thanks,
4: great.
5: Adam. Great Thank talking you. to you.
1: Yeah, no, I'm so glad also to bring Nathaniel on finally, because it's been my intention for a long time. Oh, this
5: is wonderful. By the way, did you enjoy the musical score? We had such a wonderful time with Paul Leonard Morgan, the composer. He he did oh, such yes. a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it's, it's such a wonderful experience to be able to work with a really, a really great composer. You know, that's... Um, 'Cause you have your temp score, you know, and you you love it and <laughs> well, you fall in love with it. And and they, yeah, right. And then different. right, Sabina, wasn't that a wonderful? I mean, it's it's that was really a great thus spake Zarathustra is
1: probably, you know, just a temporary score, <laughs> but they kept it on that. right, level. but they kept it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh anyway. All righty. Well, I'll let you guys you know, I'm sure you've got other where
4: where, um where are you uh is is your thing now because you're recording it now i mean you used to be only radio but now you're recording it is it a youtube channel or how do you yeah
1: yeah so hopefully i i I hope i would try to make that clear to the publicists um i can never remember if i was but i i say i I put it on the youtube channel and then the intention is that the podcast possibly you know because it's like what i can i can do this in real time i can have this up and you know include the trailer which is really nice it's very visual obviously so you know it it, I think it can be more effective then I do clips and I'll post clips from our conversation sometimes I'll put like some trailer over the you know as you're talking it's so it's actually really I find this much more liberating way of it's just a matter of people are actually going on YouTube but I still do the podcast and I'll take you know some of the conversations I do and I'll you know extract the audio and I'll clean it up and I'll make a podcast episode out of that every Friday. So actually, Janet Pearson I think was on to- today. Yeah, was oh, she? Oh, great, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, and and there's a YouTube you video. When it? we're
4: gonna be on? When are we gonna be on? I'll
1: play. Maybe I'll just do it at like once the festival starts in the first. Oh wait, it's so short this year. So no, I'll it try to do it before that. It's only five days. So I-, I I I was still in the mind that it's like nine days. <laughs> Thank you, right. but I'll, no, I'll do it leading up to the festival um, over the next coming days, and probably post over the weekend a little bit. I don't know which day exactly, but I'll certainly share it with uh, Susan and Jared, so they, you know, okay. I, can, I can perfect. And uh, you okay, have yeah. the 11th of April in your calendar, by the way, just as a side note for the uh, doing the memorial thing on Zoom too.
4: Oh yes, did I send you? Oh, it's Zoom. yeah, you did send it to me. Okay, if, you, yeah, if you're it's Zoom. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, we. Are, I, it's been here. a year.
1: I, <laughs> That's, I just, uh, you know, I got to do it. I, w- I was hoping last year we'd we'd be able to do an, something in person much sooner, but obviously that wasn't going to work out. Anyway. Yeah. All alrighty guys. Okay. Thank have you. Have a great Have a great weekend. Thank you. Yeah.
2: In the middle of his life
0: Left his wife And ran off to be back Boy, it was sad But he bought a new car Found a new bar And went under a night.
1: Back to watching films today at South by Southwest. I got to get back to it, folks. So thank you for listening. We'll be back, of course, next week with a brand new episode. I think the author, Mark Harris, I'm going to post that episode, who wrote a book on the great Hollywood director, Mike Nichols. It's a great book. And joining me on that episode is my co-host, Ileana Douglas. That's all coming next week. And continue to listen. Thank you for for doing that. Uh, uh, My name is Adam Sharthoff. The name of this show, this podcast is Film Wax Radio. Please do take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time.
2: And to change their lives Change their plans Slowly they grew apart find